All right, here I am. That's it. So th this is your first time using Zoom? Not uh, the first time. I've been using it over my desktop, but never over my cell phone. So using the app right now. That's the first oh. time. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> it's, all, it's all experimental. Of course, like everything, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm recording now, just so you know. All right. How, how are you doing? How is everything? Everything's uh, fine, yeah, doing well. Um, I guess in comparison to America, we are almost back to, not back to normal, back mm -hmm. to something new, I guess. That's how you would say, uh, a new normal. But um, business is running just as before, basically. What, what are some of the differences? Like what are some of the, uh, the, the changes you've had to make? I mean, very little. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, uh, we've been out of lockdown for a couple of months already. And uh, basically after a little bit of a very cautious time when everybody was entering the gym and being really cautious about everything, this kind of changed back very quickly. Mm -hmm. And um, now it's, it doesn't really feel like, like different from before. Of course, we still have limitations on numbers of participants. For example, we can't use our, our shower, for example, because there's no, not enough space. Mm -hmm. But in general, it's, it's really fine. Hmm. Yeah. And do people wear masks? Are people allowed to like, you know, put hands on each other or be within yeah. certain distances? I mean, we have some really weird regulations still going mm -hmm. on. So in theory, you have to wear a mask when you enter the gym, mm -hmm. but then when you enter the mat, you can just grapple okay. and touch everyone. <laughs> right. <laughs> then when you leave and you, you exit through the door, then you have to wear the mask again. Okay. It's, you know, those regulations, they were set up and now it's kind of hard to, to build down again. You know, it's like, okay, some of them are still, we still have to watch out a little bit, but um, so far it looks we kind of went through it. What do well, you? Let's see. I, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know how aware you are of like how it's gone in the United States, but like, what do you think are the differences between like what the U.S. has done to approach this and like where where you're at? Oh, man. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I'm not a specialist on this. I just heard one of our, or our leading uh, scientists say that basically the, the thing that happened in Germany is just that we were lucky that we were four weeks earlier than everybody else. Mm. So we saw what was happening in, in neighboring countries like Italy and somehow we were able to react earlier. So we were a little bit more prepared, mm -hmm. but that's it. So that's how we got through this crisis a little bit better than our neighboring countries. Mm -hmm. But he also said right now we are exactly the same as everybody else. And if it just hits again, then we will face the same situation as our neighbors. So we were not smarter, not better equipped, nothing like that. We were just right. lucky to be a little earlier than everybody else. Right. Well, if that's the true case, I don't know. <laughs> and well, I'm you... actually so I'm so tired of reading the news. I just, you know, it's, I just take it day by day and yeah. I, th I think that's a, I think that's a better way to approach it. It's like, it's so easy to get caught up in just like trying to like keep the information going all the time. Um, yeah. But I'm ha I mean, I'm, I'm jealous that you guys are able to operate and exist the way you are now when you were talking about coming on the mat and grappling, I was just like, Oh, yeah. I, haven't, I haven't grappled in almost seven months now. Yeah. And um, 
you know, I just moved to Boulder where things are a little, they're moving a little smoother and like the jujitsu school is open here, but it's still mm -hmm. pretty tricky. Um, so I'm like, um, maybe I should wait a little bit longer and just see how it unfolds over the next like month or so. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. It just seemed that the risk was okay here. So we mm -hmm. kind of, kind of came back to it and, uh, well, maybe that's a good news for all the people who can't train yet and all the gym owners around the world that actually the interest in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, for example, is mm -hmm. much, much bigger than before. Mm -hmm. So it's really like you can feel that the people were missing, missing contact, missing touch, missing humans around them. And it's just uh, basically the numbers are now better than before. And mm -hmm. uh, there's more and more people coming in basically on a weekly basis. And I never expected this to happen. Right. Like so, the, the last thing you'd expect is to like come out of a, a pandemic like this and all of a sudden yeah. more people want to be like hugging each other. Yeah. Well, if you think about it, it's quite natural, right? But yeah. then again, not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So mm -hmm. you, ju you just did a, uh, a workshop with Tom. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, what, what was kind of the... The platform for it. What, what were you guys working on, and what, what did that collaboration look like? Well, um, I think I met Tom. Uh, we were not sure. We discussed it when we actually met first. It was like four or five years ago that I met him first, and I think I, I think it was me who contacted him um, because I was so interested in his floor work. By the time I, I think he had one video out, which was just basically. I don't remember the name. It was a, one of his first YouTube videos on floor work. And um, I found so much of what he did on the floor was, uh, was so similar to what I do on my feet when I practice Chinese internal martial arts. That's mm -hmm. where I come from. So I was immediately drawn into this, uh, this way of movement. And um, then I invited him to teach at my gym. Um, because I, in my gym, I host a lot of different movement practitioners from all areas. And he was one of the first I actually invited. So mm -hmm. we started to talk four or five years before when he was still in Japan. And um, like after the first one or two years, after I invited him twice, I think we talked about co-teaching alongside each other. So Tom had a couple of uh, retreats. Um, and so the first retreat was in Israel. The second was in, in Tuscany, in Italy. And uh, that's when we actually already taught next to each other. And so we had this, uh, this workshop format actually planned for quite a long time. And it was planned for March. Then it got uh, canceled due to Corona. And now we were actually lucky to finally make it. And the platform was um, what we call moving, uh, moving meditations. Um, so it is about the, the space in between or the space where internal martial arts and dance uh, kind of meet and where they have so much in common that they can support each other and nourish, nourish each other. So um, that's what we were actually always working on. What's the commonalities between those two areas and what's our, what are probably the, the differences mm -hmm. and um, how can each practice support the other practice. So me, for example, I find so much joy in, in working with Tom and how he approaches dance and acrobatics. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and same for him. He, he enjoys it so much to dive into the world of Chinese internal martial arts because it supports him with whatever he does on the floor or acrobatics or, or in his dance. So yeah, and we try to share uh, those ideas that we've been working on for the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. And it was quite successful. So people enjoyed it and we're already looking forward for the, for the second edition, which is probably happening in Barcelona next year. <laughs> oh, well, I'll have to uh, try to make it out there for that one. Yeah. Um, but when I saw you guys were doing this, I was really fascinated with the collaboration. And, I, and, and I'd love for you to talk a little bit more before we get into the collaboration, because I'm curious about the, the similarities and differences that you mentioned. Yeah. Um, but can you talk a little bit more about internal martial arts, like maybe the history a little bit, maybe a little bit uh, uh, about what you mean by uh, something being internal. Mm. Um, yeah, just paint some, uh, some brush strokes for internal martial okay, arts. Okay, yeah, of course. That's the, that's the standard question by, from people that actually don't know what we're talking about in Chinese internal martial arts. So first of all, uh, it's semantics, okay? So internal is a word in comparison to external. And in some cases, there is no real difference between an external and an internal martial art. So um, to describe it in the most easy way would be that in so-called internal martial arts, which are Bagua Zhang, Xing Chen, and Tai Chi Chen, all from China, the approach is to work with what you already have with your resources. For example, your alignment, your structure, your breath, your, your mind, all those internal things and to build your body from the inside out. So kind of imagine you want to have a, a super fast race car and you don't want to make it faster or stronger by putting uh, a stronger engine first, but you build the whole structure of the car first so it's ready to take the energy of the bigger engine okay so mm -hmm. the, the idea is to build from the inside out while compared to so-called external martial arts you start immediately to work on things like speed strength on the outside with your muscular system etc etc but as i said before internal and external always mix together so you will um, run into teachers who say they are teaching an internal Chinese martial or an internal martial art, but their teaching style is very externally focused. Mm -hmm. And you will find great, for example, boxing coaches, which is considered completely external, but they teach so much internal stuff. You know, there's the, the, there is no real borders, basically. It's, it's, in the end, it's what you teach and what you, what you want to, uh, to focus on with your, with your students or for yourself in practice. But the Chinese internal martial arts, they have certain methods that I would say an external martial art would not necessarily have, which are in general mindful practices. So you, the, the general idea behind an internal martial arts is that you want to, to combine basically three things. Those three things are your human body or your physical movement, your breath and your mind. And the mind is usually, um, a word which contains different aspects of our mental capacities. So there, underneath mind, you could say there's focus, there's attention, there's awareness. That's all different qualities of the mind. Mm -hmm. But an internal practice should always combine all of those three uh, things. Mm -hmm. And that's 
an easy definition. So while you could get uh, an external boxing practice, let's say, and you're just hitting a heavy back, mm -hmm. but you're completely gassing out and your mind is wandering, that would be an example for external training. Okay, mm -hmm. you're, still, you're still doing something, but you're not connected. Right. Internal practice, successful internal practice would be that you are aware of what's happening with your alignment, what's happening in your joints, Mm -hmm. how your breathing is supporting you or not supporting you. Where is your focus while you're hitting the back? That's bringing mm -hmm. everything together. So you want to use all the resources that you have in order to become the strongest version of yourself, so to say. And, and okay, yeah. Sorry. And then, and then that gives space, at least from what you've described and talking about having a grappling program at your school, for instance. Mm -hmm is that yeah. you create then this collaboration between internal and external practice a little bit. Is it, would that be correct? Um, yeah, I think we have to be quite careful because I mean, there's, of course it's just words, but on the other side, it's not just words. Mm -hmm. If I say I want to practice Brazilian Jiu Jitsu mm -hmm. and I talk about uh, how I would bring the concepts of internal martial arts into a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu environment, I have to be very careful because Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is a sport mm -hmm. and it has a very different objective than an internal martial art. Mm. Right? And it, so you got to be careful. Of course you can, for example, have sessions where you focus uh, on specific things going on in the students' bodies. Like, okay, now we're going to do some sweeping and now you, I want to want you to become aware of how the shoulder moves uh, in, in comparison to the hip and you know focusing on the inside of what you are doing also focusing on what you see with your partner but this is basically it's it's teaching with concepts mm -hmm. and teaching with concepts concepts i feel is always great if you want to explain stuff like mm -hmm. a student comes up to me and says hey this sweep doesn't work for me why is that is my technique wrong and you can use those concepts, for example, from internal martial arts, to analyze why the thing is not working he's practicing. And so you mm -hmm. maybe find out that while he is trying to, to apply force, mm -hmm. his spine is torqued or yeah. his head is in a tilted position. So you mm -hmm. can already start to, to use those concepts and explain why there was no force, right? Right. But then again, it's a concept. Mm -hmm. And after the explanation, you got to go back and wrestle. <laughs> right, right. You can't avoid that. <laughs> right. I, I appreciate that. It reminds me of a, a, another conversation I had recently, but like the idea that, again, like to not get so caught up on, on technique that maybe mm -hmm. if we step back from the technique and kind of do some observational work, some mindful work, some of these answers might unfold on their own. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It works exactly in both ways, right? Mm -hmm. So there is no, no jujitsu without technique mm -hmm. and a technique without proper like internal mechanics, the biomechanics of your human body, the technique is going to be crap. So mm -hmm. <laughs> it has to, it can feed each other really well. And um, like Chinese internal martial arts is uh, historically, I would say something that you wouldn't really start with as a martial art. Um, mm. Not because it's, superior to anything else but just the topics that you're working with and you, that you are fo focusing on are more subtle qualities or mm -hmm. things that you would put underneath your already existing fighting technique 
So in the best case scenario, you would have somebody already educated in wrestling or boxing or whatever. And then on top of that, teach him the, the internal principles, the concepts of human movement. And mm -hmm. that would absolutely make him a better fighter, mm -hmm. but he still needs the techniques and the fighting stuff that he learned before. So for example, in Bagua, in Bagua Zhang that I teach, one of our founders of the system, he was a wrestler, a Chinese wrestler. So mm -hmm. Chinese Shuai Jiao. And, um, and basically he took what he learned from Bagua Zhang. So he, had, he already had an existing uh, foundation of martial skill and mm -hmm. where he could now also in, um, implement what he learned in the Bagua classes. Mm -hmm. And in China, the system, when, my, when I asked my, my teacher the same question is that he would usually start children with Shaolin Kung Fu, mm -hmm. because that's where you learn your basic kicking, your basic striking, your basic stepping, all the Sanda, you know, the how to move with a partner. And right. on top of that, when the people would get older and have more capacity to open their, their mind, then mm -hmm. they would start to implement the concepts and methods of the Chinese internal martial arts, usually starting with Xingyi Chuan, which is a very straightforward and very direct um, martial art, mm -hmm. very aggressive. And then later on, probably Bagua, which is more concerned about all the space around you. So it got a broader perspective. And when they get older, maybe Taiji would be the thing <laughs> to keep it all alive. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I find it really interesting that they would normally start children um, doing like Kung Fu or something. Mm. Because as you were describing internal martial arts in the beginning, I was thinking, I was like, oh, well, how would this be applied then to like children developing in these things? But you answered the question and it makes a lot of sense that now they have some sort of like, I want to say language in their body, but it could be anything, but they've developed some sort of language and understanding. So now when you want to take them and be like, all right, well now let's create some mindfulness around this. There's already words that are there that they can start moving into places rather than it being like an empty canvas. Yeah. It's like grammar school. You have to teach, teach the basic writing and basic sentences first. Without right. those, there's no poetry. Right. Now tell me about some of the similarities that you, you see with, with something like dance and, and what the similarities, how the similarities provide some sort of collaboration between the two, like the work that you and Tom did in just in terms of the similarities. Yeah. Um, first of all, I'm not a dancer. Um, so I'm not really uh, able to dig deep into the theory of dance. Um, what we focused on in the workshop with Tom was basically um, the idea of providing methods that would support you in either your dance or your martial arts practice. So, for example, when you talk about uh, structure, alignment and base in Chinese martial arts or internal martial arts, and you express it through fighting and, and a training partner or an opponent, opponent, that's the same principles that you would use when you're lifting a partner in dance. Okay, so we were looking at how to build resources for dancers and martial artists to support their practice, but also to um, make it sustainable for the long term, right? So there's a lot of throwing people around in dance. There's a lot of catching people flying around. Now, if you don't know how to catch a flying person, 
you will probably end up pretty messed up, right? But if you, the, the knowledge is all there. It's all there and it's universal. So when I say the principles of Chinese internal martial arts, they are non-different than any principle that you would, for, a, for example, find in, in weightlifting. How could they? We all have one human body, right? So if I talk about how to hinge your hip, because when you, when you throw an opponent, that's exactly the same move that you would find in a, in a weightlifting scenario. Mm-hmm. Same as in dance. It, it all is connected to each other. So our goal was basically to, um, to use those soft qualities that you can't necessarily see from the outside, which would be your alignment, your breath, also very important, your focus. And um, then move into the direction of either um, resisting, as in fighting, or in supporting, as in dance. And um, yeah, basically to make everyone's practice a little bit safer, a little bit more sustainable, to avoid long-term injury. Um, because I feel that's something that's, that's quite missing in both the martial arts area as well as in the, in the dance circles. And what are some of the differences that you addressed? Uh, well, differences are, <laughs> differences are everywhere. Um, I mean, in, in the, the biggest difference is, of course, the functionality. I mean, there's nothing in martial arts that's not functional. And if, if there is, it shouldn't be in there. Mm-hmm. Right, because why would you practice something not functional when you have just so little time to prepare? Right. Um, so that's one one big thing, and uh, I enjoyed it so much to let go of certain patterns that I use in, in the martial arts area, let go of them through the dance. Um, so the things that they would allow, or even even. Um, not only allow, but even um, specifically um, focus on like relaxation and letting go and uh, like um, moving in, in patterns that are completely weird and unfunctional just because they are expressing something is, is of course the biggest difference. Mm-hmm. Then it depends. I mean, dance is also, also dance is not dance. There is so much, so many different styles. If you, if you consider Bhutto, for example, as a, a form of dance, which is, I guess, I'm, I'm sorry if I, uh, if I'm offending people here, <laughs> I have no <laughs> idea what I'm talking about, <laughs> but you know, the, the spectrum of dance is so, so broad mm-hmm. and you find differences to, to martial arts everywhere. Um, yeah. All right. So, what, again, I think there's more commonalities than differences, mm-hmm. but for me, the greatest or biggest difference is obviously the thing of martial arts being 100% functional compared to dance, which is about expression. It, remind, it, remi- it, it reminds me of, of speaking to Tom a little bit about this, only because I asked, you know, I met him doing jujitsu and I asked him how he ended up practicing jujitsu coming from a dance background. and. He said that he was so interested in finding another way, other ways of communication. Mm, yeah. And that was the first thing I thought about when we were, when you were about to mention the differences and, and I guess functionality is, is kind of the same answer, but um, they're two very different forms of communication with another person. Yeah. Yes and no. Um, because I think you can in, in really, 
uh, in really advanced practitioners, you will find a lot of different qualities of communication, mm -hmm. right? For example, the obvious thing would be that you consider, okay, there's no, there's no soft and listening mm -hmm. quality in a jujitsu game or in a wrestling game. But in fact, of course there is, right? Mm -hmm. If you see, if you see the best grapplers in the world, they are listening to so many small details that they, you know, watch Marcelo Garcia, you've been practicing with him. You know, there's so many things going on in his body and he's, he is expressing so many qualities that you would probably uh, say that's, that's dance qualities. But no, man, he's, he's fighting with those qualities and he has the capacity to actually focus on all those different areas. Again, I think that the similarities are much more than than actually differences it just depends on your personal level how many how many of the similarities right. you might find right right <laughs> and, and how how long have you been been practicing jujitsu uh jujitsu is quite new I'm still a blue belt so i've been practicing uh, four and a half years mm -hmm. uh yeah taking it slowly uh mm -hmm. Not as intense as I did all my practice uh, before, because now my responsibilities are a little bit, <laughs> a little right. bit uh, bigger than before. Right? In, right. The, in the time when I studied Chinese martial arts, I had no responsibilities but uh, studying and practicing. And uh, uh -huh. yeah, that's full immersion. But now I'm uh, almost 41 years old and uh, father of two kids and business owner and whatever. There's a lot of things going on in my life, constant change. So um, I am very excited about jujitsu, but mm -hmm. I really have to talk to myself all the time and say, no man, take it easy, take mm -hmm. the slow path. You have yeah. other obligations. <laughs> well, yeah. But as you said, that's the thing with jujitsu is like once people get kind of hooked on it, it's like, it's a very, uh, uh, it's very addictive. People have like yeah. a hunger for it. Nah, it's a drug. Um, it's so why, why, why jujitsu? Why that direction from, from the practices that you've spent a lot of time with? Why, why did you start spending time with jujitsu? What, what drew you in there? I only ask because there are so many things. There's, there's, you know, judo or any of these different places, directions to go. Yeah. I mean, many reasons. First of all, I'm a very, very curious person. So whenever I see something interested, interesting, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm trying to, uh, to check it out. The thing is that I've been practicing many different martial arts before, and I only did judo when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. So maybe for maybe just two years, uh, and then I never grappled again. So all my martial arts experience up to uh, 2015, yeah, 2015 were stand-up martial mm -hmm. arts. Mm -hmm. No groundwork whatsoever, no ground fighting at all. So. Uh, kind of like with many people that come from a strict uh, stand-up perspective, they go to their first workshop, they learn that they can't do anything on the ground. They lose against the, lose against the white belts like <laughs> they've never practiced anything. Mm -hmm. And that's when I got hooked. I mean, it's the classic story. Right. All of a sudden, there's like this aha it's moment. Oopa, like, there's something yeah. I completely missed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. right. I when I was talking to, to Margot, who you're, who, you know, as well last week, yeah. um, mm -hmm. I was reflecting on like my first few days in jujitsu, especially the first few days where we were actually sparring and, yeah. you know, unlike you, I didn't come from like a, a, a Chinese martial arts background, but I had come from a background where, you know, 
if we were putting things in a certain order, physical strength was close to the top. Mm. And I had this like revelation about like strength and, and that we, I've grown to believe now that we, we put too much emphasis on this, you know, like the traditional physical strength, whatever we want to make that. Um, because I was in that jujitsu, those jujitsu classes and people who I was obviously stronger than were significantly stronger than me, but in ways that were not the traditional strength. And mm. I've grown to feel like we, in, or at least in some places, overemphasize physical strength, like the, the, the weightlifting type strength or something gymnastic strength. And it gives this illusion of control. Um, people are, are made to feel like they're in more control than they actually are because they've, they've made themselves look and potentially feel physically strong when in many domains that strength doesn't mean much. Um, and I realize that in jujitsu and, and I think that you, you, you have a bit of that in the Chinese martial arts as well, because when you're talking about, uh, the mind and the breath and these things, these are things that aren't necessarily addressed in the development of some sort of physical strength all the time Mm -hmm. and aren't given the attention they deserve. When I think that if we're talking about a, a, a broad display of strength and, and, that would to me be strength of the mind and the ability to overpower an opponent must muscles don't necessarily mean everything. Yeah, absolutely. Um, your, your conditioning is very, very important. That's mm-hmm. not right. This it's, it's very, very important. Mm-hmm. Uh, but especially in the beginning when you're just learning and you're trying to get into jujitsu, for example, looking for better conditioning is probably the wrong path. Um, Mm. And I would always suggest you focus on technique for a very long time because you will automatically become so much stronger and much more efficient by, by applying the proper technique and also using, using your body wisely. Right. Uh, um, Then after a while, when your technique is, is, is good enough, you surely have to focus on your, on uh, the things that you're missing. That might be mobility, that might be your endurance, that might be your strength in certain areas. And then just do whatever it takes to get it on, on par and then start to work with your, with your technique and your action fighting again, because you can't make up for, for actual grappling practice, not with strength training, not with conditioning, it's, it's all in the technique. Mm-hmm. Same thing in, uh, you just have to, ma- you know, fighting is experience. You are a good fighter if you have enough experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and strength training doesn't give you any experience for the thing that you want to do if fighting is the thing that you want to do, right? right. Nothing against strength training. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for sure, if you want to focus on jiu-jitsu and getting better at it, I would strongly recommend to focus on jiu-jitsu first. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's again, there's a huge difference between if you if you take it if you take jujitsu or any martial arts as martial art as your hobby, or if you're competing. If you're competing, 
com com competing without conditioning is <laughs> is not possible. I mean, you might win a white belt competition, but if you're if you're competing at any any decent level, your conditioning has to be up on on the highest possible level, of course. Right. That's sport. I mean, there's no sport without conditioning. And that's right. where strength definitely plays a huge role. But also, again, you see the different approaches in the in the best grapplers in the world. You see Marcelo, who probably never lifted a bar above above his head. You see people mm -hmm. like Lachlan Giles, who just say, "Well, you know, it's going to take too much energy from myself. It's I I don't have this extra energy to put it in strength training. I need my all my energy for for the technical stuff that I'm working on." Mm -hmm. Right, but if you're again, it's also about weight class. If you're in the heaviest weight class, you just need to bulk up and get stronger and heavier. Right. Right. What can you do? Right. But you know the 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 broader, more powerful elements that I think transcend physical strength are like the ability to move between like full and empty, and hard and soft you know, and, and rigid and non-rigid. And I think that those things get grazed over very quickly when, you know, those are the really rich tools. And, and I would say, again, that's probably a similarity between martial arts and dance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a similarity completely. Uh, yes, I, I agree, and I'm not sure about, I mean, it, it always comes down to that. I was just thinking about, yes, there's, there's beginners, they come into jiu-jitsu class, and, you know, they are, like, completely gassed out after maybe one or two rounds of five minutes, and that's mm -hmm. usually because of their insane tension that they carry around, you know? It's like they're all tensed up, and they just, after five minutes, they're done, completely gassed out. And then you see, again, the first thing is not, go out and run to, be, to get a stronger, a stronger heart, but just relax, you know, mm -hmm. let go of the tension that you're carrying around, let go, mm -hmm. let go, let go, let, enjoy the process. And, and then they start to have so much more energy during, during their next grappling sessions and they did nothing for their conditioning. Mm -hmm. They just focus on relaxation. And I'm pretty sure that happens on every level. You learn new techniques and you're, I mean, I'm not a black belt. I'm not any experienced, nowhere near that. Mm -hmm. But from my experience, when you when you start to dig into a new area that an area that you did not practice before, let's say you've always been focused on uh, on gi chokes, and then it's out of a sudden somebody opens the huge space of lack attacks. And I'm pretty mm -hmm. sure, even if you're a specialist and really good in all those gi chokes the first time you get into those lag entanglements, you will tense up like, mm -hmm. like crazy, maybe like your first, first grappling session again, again. Right. right. And then it's a constant work. I mean, it's, uh, I think the key in any martial art is that you are, that you stay mindful about the, the process. And mm -hmm. then you have some nice people around you to give you feedback on, on every level. Mm -hmm. Take it in, see if it works for you. If it's good feedback, try to try to apply it. If your coach says, "Dude, relax your shoulders," then you should probably relax your shoulders. If if you, the person underneath you says, "Wow, you're just holding your breath, but you're on top of me. Why are you doing that?" So yeah, yeah right, um, right. Just stay mindful of all about all, all those small details yeah. while cons consistently practicing. There's nothing that beats experience. All the 
you know, timing is everything in martial arts. If, if you don't practice, your timing will be off all day long. It's, mm -hmm. In the end, you need to collect mileage. It's, uh, can, you, can, you can you talk a little bit about mindfulness? Because I think that that's a word that's thrown around pretty loosely nowadays. Like you'll hear it all the time. Like, you know, you see it on like the Instagrams and things like that. Some like person who teaches yoga somewhere talking about mindful, blah, blah, blah. Um, but you used it in the beginning to, to describe the, the, the process of, of internal martial arts. And then you just used it quite a bit. Can you talk about the, the, the mindful approach from the, the, the internal martial arts perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for me, it's a, it's a very easy definition and it's uh, nothing, um, nothing complicated at all. It's uh, in the beginning, I said that the, the main thing that you want to, um, to practice is that you combine three layers, which is first human movement or the body, the physical, physical body, the breath and the mind and the mind uh, I said, does contain different aspects of the mind. For example, focus, attention, awareness. And here comes the definition. Um, mindful, mindful practice in my definition, um, and I read it in a, in a pretty nice book about Buddhist meditation, is that when you balance out the, um, the attention to internal details, with external awareness. So in a meditation setting, you would be, for example, paying attention to your breath and how it moves through your nose. And as a beginner, you would be very much um, busy with that, not able to um, expand your awareness to the space around you. Mm -hmm. But after, some, after a certain time and you get better and better, you might be able to shift a little bit of your of your uh, internal attention towards the breathing to the external surroundings and the mindful practice where you when you reach the the, the point of so-called mindfulness would be the point where you almost equally balance out the internal attention to whatever it might be the breathing or internal sensations while at the same time maintaining awareness about your environment so that's what I'm always looking for and what I would describe as a mindful practice. And if you connect this to movement, like as you're practicing in internal martial arts, you are moving your body through space while you are busy with internal attention to details. For example, your alignment and structure, how you put your feet, how you shift your weight, while at the same time maintaining an external awareness to your surroundings and your environment. That's the sweet spot you want to hit. And right. the breath, the third, the third element, there's the physical, there's the breath, and there's the mind. The breath usually works just like a taxi that carries the mind back to the body. You know, when I, when I for example, imagine that I am pushing forward with my hand, I'm sending out force through my hand, then I use my uh, out breath to do that. It's going out. And so my, my breathing pattern helps me to bring my mind into my movement. It's those three things combined. But again, mindful practice to me is the ability to have internal attention to whatever you want to focus on 
could be many things at the same time and external awareness. I really, really like your um, taxi analogy (laughs) of connecting the mind and the body or mind and the movement, I should say, Mm -hmm. um, with the breath. I think that that's a really uh, simple and interesting way to do that Um, because I thought a lot about breath and I think it's a very, again, like, it's not given the the attention it, it often deserves in a lot of places. And I think in internal martial arts, it's where so much of the focus goes. Um, and I'd love to, to dig into that a little bit more. You know, my, my understanding is super basic, um, mm-hmm. but can you talk a, a little bit more about breath and maybe some of the approaches you have to addressing breath and, and, and moving the breath properly with the other two elements that you were discussing. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, I've been reading a lot of books recently. Uh, it's the breathing is becoming a very, very uh, important topic, so to say, especially in movement circles. And um, the thing is in Chinese, in, in the internal martial arts, breathing isn't that complicated. Mm-hmm. And um, basically, what I would say, if you could achieve just a relaxed breathing without forcing anything, you would be good for the rest of your life. Um, of course, there's more, right? right. So you can, you can do reverse breathing, for example. That's probably the second breathing method that I would say is kind of important. But again, it's only if you just if you are able to breathe normally. Right. And um, my goal uh, in 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 any practice that I do is basically that I want my breathing to just happen and to just flow. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 usually it it is a process. It, mm-hmm. If usually people think, or me too, if if I'm in my in my everyday environment. I might think that I'm breathing naturally, but mm-hmm. I'm holding my breath all the time in different scenarios, right? I'm, I'm driving my car. Somebody is, is honking at me. I, t- I tense up. I hold my breath. Mm-hmm. Same thing here. When I, when I enter the practice room and I start to do my, um, my circle walking, for example, in Bagua, my breath is everywhere, but not, on, not natural, not relaxed. And it takes, you know, sometimes it takes five minutes, some, some days it takes 10 minutes until I feel that my system shifts into a relaxed state. Mm-hmm. So the parasympathetic nervous system gets activated, okay? And, and then you feel the shift and out of a sudden, your breath is gone, kind of. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the situation that I think has the most value for most of the practitioners and every other breathing technique can be put on top in order to to um sometimes to kick you out of your of your tight spaces for example you're always stuck in the same same stupid emotion when you practice your your stuff you're always stuck there then you can use again you can use your breathing you can use a different breathing pattern to, for example, fire you up, to bring the breath like up to your, to your, to your chest, for example, in reverse breathing. You, you really activate everything. It's something that I sometimes use very sparely 
when I feel I'm stuck in a certain, in a certain pattern, that might be an emotional pattern, that might be a, a pattern of how I move. And then I change my breathing in order to change that pattern. But again, the, for me, the most important thing is just that you, that you find a practice where you can actually like dissolve into a natural form of breathing that just happens and just feels great and gives you a lot of energy. And uh, in, in, in Qigong practice, it's, it's the same. You work all the time just with basic inhalations and exhalations. No complicated stuff whatsoever. Right. A breath that's working in collaboration with the movement. Completely, yes. <laughs> the light turned off. And, um, yeah, and it's, again, it's different about, I mean, in jiu-jitsu, there's, there's some other breathing techniques that you sometimes use to create, for example, pressure when you're in side control, you, you use different to create more pressure on the ribs of your partner. Yeah, that's, that's amazing stuff. Um, but that's also not the, um, that's a very different function. And yeah. I, I, want, I want to agree with you because uh, you, you briefly said that in, in like breath work is, is very in, in movement yeah. circles right now, mm-hmm. but it's always jumping to like, well, what's like the, the, the most complex breathing techniques skipping the fact that like, well, how is your everyday breath? Are you breathing properly when you're just walking down the street? And I, I read a book recently and it was saying before you get into like the complex breathing, before you do pranayama or whatever you want to do, maybe you should just lay in corpse position for 10, 15 minutes daily mm-hmm. and just be a witness to your breath and see what an everyday breath actually looks and feels like. And, and almost educate yourself on how to implement that into your daily life before or if you even need to go in those other directions. Yeah, and I think the key here is daily life. I mean, the people who figured out all those crazy breathing techniques were basically monks. Mm-hmm. They, were, they had no daily life with all the concerns that we are carrying around. They had the time and space and mental capacity to practice all these things. Nowadays, especially now in Corona times, everybody is just tensed up until like, like a hundred percent, right? And how would you ever into a, a, a stressed out system put any method of breathing that puts more pressure into the same system that's already exploding? I think that's, uh, it's something that it's not only it's actually dangerous. I think there's, there's a good, there's a reason to, uh, to tell the people, wait, just hang out in corpse position. Yeah, right. <laughs> hang out there every day for 10 minutes before you go to bed. That will do you much better than, you know, doing all the crazy breathing patterns that you're doing. Right. You don't need to jump straight to like Tumo or, or Wim Hof. Like no, maybe, yeah, just spend some time <laughs> learning how to breathe in, out, in and out through your nose and just be... Mm and then learn how to do it in a, a collaborative way with your body moving. Yeah, I always ask, I mean, we always have to ask ourselves, where are we today? What's the situation here? Am I ready for an in-depth practice? Am I ready for putting more stress on my body through the practice I want to do? Mm-hmm. Or should I just watch for some form of balance uh, and use my practice to actually get to a normal uh, state of uh, 
of being, you know, mm -hmm. and, and to be very honest with, uh, I mean, it's, I can, I can totally see where it comes from. It's an interesting topic. You want to dig deeper. You, you want to explore every possible method that there is on breathing. You try it, you, you're getting excited, but then at the end of the day, is it really useful for yourself? Is it helping you? Um, and that's the question that for me is, especially when you're, when you have a busy life, mm -hmm. you need to put your priorities somewhere. And, uh, yeah, I mean, right. personal decision. Well, it's also just like, you know, you know, you wouldn't go and say, Oh, I'm, I need to learn acrobatics if you don't know how to walk. Yeah. Not at all. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's like learn how to be on your feet. Yeah, please. Can you talk a little bit more? Because um, I saw some of the the videos that you've posted, and I think you were talking. I forget what you called it. The you you, you were saying you're talking about your circular walk. Circle uh, walking, yeah. Yeah, circle walking. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about what you're thinking about there? What what where you're at in your mindful practice with with that? What is like? What kind of give me a, like a play by play? Mm-hmm. Uh, circular walking is um, the specific method of the art of Bhagwatam. Okay, there is no no other martial art that practices circle walking. Mm -hmm. um, circle walking basically is a perf in my opinion, is a very perfect method to combine those three layers: physical movement, breath, and and your mind. Um, and um, it is special because it is circular, so you can stay with the exercise for as long as you wish. You are never bumping against a wall, right? <laughs> so <laughs> any form that you even like Tai Chi, for example, long Tai Chi forms, you can dig into the same qualities with a long Tai Chi form, but at some point it ends. Mm -hmm. And also not every movement in a tidy form is circular. So the energy goes out and then you have to recollect it. In circle walking, when you do the circle walking, when you change the directions, we have the so-called palm changes. And those palm changes are basically movement patterns that take your moving energy, then they move it through different planes in space. And then in order to direct this energy into the other direction of the circle. So there is no stop. There is no break in movement. There's no break in energy, nothing at all. So you can literally move for hours on end. Right. And this, in my, in my opinion, is the, the greatest asset of circle walking that you can really dig in deep on whatever you're working on. Mm -hmm. And this is something that changes through the years. So I don't know where I'm at. Mm -hmm. I am practicing day by day. It's in the beginning, you're busy with your footwork. Mm -hmm. After one or two years, you might be busy with how to, how to move your spine in a more efficient way. The, the, the places where you put your attention, they are different and changing all the time. Mm -hmm. And there is, of course, there's like some, some guidance. There's like basic principles that you are trying to, to match. Mm -hmm. But of course, there's more coming up after, after long years of practice. And you are this is the thing it can become a very dumb and very dull practice if you lose the mindfulness mm -hmm. if you have nothing to focus on and you're just thinking about your laundry while you're circle walking it's mm -hmm. pointless mm -hmm. it's exercise okay you're doing something you're walking walking a circle great mm -hmm. so what what's important to me is always to 
to dig into the place where I find that I'm aligned with, um, with the internal attention again and my uh, and awareness of, of what's happening on the outside. And this mm -hmm. is changing day by day. So sometimes I, I start my practice, I feel a lot of tension in my shoulders. So I work with that. I focus mm -hmm. on how I can move inside the circle move, uh, walking practice in order to release the tension I have in my shoulders. The next day I might show up and have some emotional issue. So I walk the circle and since I've been practicing this for decades now, um, I, I, I have so many links that are that where the movement is linked to my biography for example certain experiences in my life for example i was practicing this particular palm change in the time where i had a beautiful relationship to my partner so, mm -hmm. and it's linked with everything because it's a, it's a daily practice mm -hmm. so whatever you need at a certain day you can go into that resource and take what's necessary for you in order to feel better, to, to realign, to connect back to, to yourself. Mm -hmm. This is the beauty of it. So there is repetition. Of course, it's the same exercise you do every day, but if mm -hmm. it's a mindful practice, it's never the same, mm -hmm. never the same. Even it looks like the same from the outside. If you are really practicing, it's different every day. And, and you're talking about this thing that I've thought about. I think I, I read it recently, but like the longer you stay with it, the, the layers of contemplation get deeper. As you said, it's like in the beginning, you're thinking about your footwork and then over time, what you're contemplating gets kind of like deeper and deeper. And like you said, you're, you're, you're into like your biography a little bit. Yeah, it, it, it can happen, <laughs> mm -hmm. but it also happens quite often that I, that I arrive at the same place that I've been arriving at two years ago. <laughs> it's not necessarily deeper, just right. a, bit, a little off the track, but at the same point, yeah, well. Right, but, it's, but it allows you like to, to narrow in a little more in some way. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm interested. I've never um, had any exposure to, to this work. And when you describe it, where you're, I, I kind of imagine it as the like infinity symbol, where it's like it mm -hmm. continues no matter what. And as you were describing it, I don't know, I started thinking about being a kid in the way that I, like when I flash back to being a kid, being alone, kind of like spinning my wheels by myself physically, it was very circular and continuous. Mm -hmm. So in some ways it's, um, it's something that's always there. And if I think about how I watch kids move around it, like there's not a lot of like stopping and going. It is kind of continuous in the way that children move. It's like, the momentum continues. Yeah. And in this case, again, it's, it's interconnected. So the, the physical movements helps, the physical movement helps your mind to stay on track. If mm -hmm. your mind can stay on track, it helps your physical movement to, to stay moving. And it's, you know, it's when you get stuck in one part, the other mm -hmm. thing gets stuck too. So you can work on both ways. You know, mm -hmm. it's, and it's a very, very, very nice intro, uh, introverted, uh, research that you can do and how how your tensions are related to certain emotions and stuff it's it's just brilliant work um, and a huge huge field for uh, for research yeah. yeah like I said it's a it's something new for me I feel like in, when, when it comes to internal martial arts my my, my awareness is, is probably stuck on Tai Chi and Qigong mm. but um, yeah this is this is totally something new 
Um, so when the world clears up, I'm going to have to come out and, and spend some good time out there and, and, and educate myself a little bit because, um, especially the way you described it, I find it really interesting. Yeah. And, and what you just, what you just said is just also true to dig into it a little bit. Uh, this little bit oftentimes is, is quite, quite a lot. And it's, it's sometimes it's already, it's also enough. Right there, uh, I think a lot of people are still afraid of learning a system like Chinese martial arts, you know, Chinese martial art, there's so much to learn and so many forms. Mm -hmm. But it, it, yeah, of course there is, there's a lot of external things that you want to learn and it's a collection of all the knowledge of the people who put it together, but you can dig into the qualities of that practice quite, quite early. Mm -hmm. And uh, to just get a feel for it and an idea and maybe a good inspiration, you don't need to, to study the full, uh, full set. You, know? you don't need to study the whole martial art to understand it. It's, of course, it adds depth, but it's probably not necessary. Yeah. Kind, of, kind of like with the, with the breathing patterns. You, know? if you want to understand it, you want to dig in, you want to to experience the quality, maybe get some good inspiration for the, for the practice that you're already doing and then integrate it. Mm -hmm. You know, for example, I, I uh, worked with, um, with another dancer and acrobat, Lucia Toca from, from Argentina. Mm -hmm. And she's an acrobat basically and a dancer. And uh, she studied Bagua with me for a while and continues to do so until today. And the thing I love so much about this, uh, this, exchange and uh, teaching her the Bagua is that she doesn't um, out of a sudden bring Kung Fu-esque movement into her dance. Not at all. Mm -hmm. no, she's not copying Kung Fu because it looks cool or different from her dance, but she's really integrating the, the finer, the, the more subtle qualities that we have been working on in the Bagua practice and integrating it into her acrobatics. And that's when I'm totally freaking out about stuff. It's like, <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's it. You got it. <laughs> right. I mean, I'm super excited about that. So yeah. What, what is the name? What is her name? Lucia Toca from Buenos Aires. And she's also a good friend of Tom. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to have to look her up. That, uh, that's so cool. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, I don't know. Do you, do you do any sort of like online teaching or is everything out of your studio right now? No, I started online teaching probably one and a half years ago and uh, I was always doing one-on-one. -on -one. I still do that, but uh, during the lockdown, I focused more on, on creating a platform. Mm -hmm. First of all, for my, uh, for my local members. Mm -hmm. And I would put all the content uh, that I've been filming years before and I put it on the platform so they can go there and uh, study even if there's no local classes happening. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's been March, I think. And since then, I'm basically building this, uh, this new pl platform. It's called uh, Martial Movement Arts. And uh, this is where I basically teach from now in the, in the online format. So I kind of reduced the one-on-one -on -one uh, online coaching mm -hmm. because now the programs are are built on that platform and you can just jump on whenever you find the time and uh, it's much uh, much better than actually the one-on-one -on -one coaching because then you also see how other people are practicing you see the videos from other people you, you get feedback from other people it's uh, it's more alive mm -hmm. and a very supportive system so yeah which, i teach online which is also something that i find is um 
you know, a, a quality of martial arts that I, I think is important and probably a similarity in dance is there's this communal feedback, right? Mm. Where it's um, oftentimes if you're just, if you're alone, you're dependent on yourself for the feedback and your education is basically coming from whatever you're reading or watching or, or you've mm-hmm. read. Whereas in, in martial arts and in dance, you're, you're being instructed by not just the teacher, but by the other people that you're working with. And what you kind of described in your, for your platform is, is to some degree trying to integrate that in just a little bit of just like the other people are participating and you're yeah. getting some education through not just with the information being fed to you from the teacher, but by like what's happening with the other people around you. Yeah, absolutely. We're learning through our community and this communica- community can be anywhere. It can be a platform, it can be a local community. I think uh, we still have to learn a lot about online coaching and we're just at the very beginning of it. Mm-hmm. And I'm also not a pro, but I'm, I'm digging deeper every day and uh, yeah. trying to find more ways to, to transmit the knowledge and to, yeah, it's interesting. Well, Very to, me interesting. That, to me, that's the big bump with the online coaching is that, you know, keeping that communication open between people. Mm. Um, I think people often think that online coaching is just like developing content, but there's, there's more there. There's, there's, there is this community aspect and like the, the, the way we learn within a community that is, I think people are hashing out how to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For me, it's also the, already the differences in say, uh, if you are producing uh, tutorials, which is just a one way street, right? There's, you're watching something, you get the, get the info, but that's it. Uh, and I think it's, I mean, it's cool. I'm, uh, I'm a junkie with those uh, tutorials as well. I watch mm-hmm. a lot of tutorials, mm-hmm. but I also, the, the results uh, or the learning is very, very small compared mm-hmm. to, the, to the amount that I actually put in the system. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's, uh, and, and the courses on, on this platform, they are, um, first of all, they are built for, for a small number of students that I can still handle by myself. Mm-hmm. So whenever somebody asks a question, he will certain absolutely get a personal answer and a personal feedback. And most of the time he will get a personal video. And, you know, there's, there's so much uh, details in learning that's, that are happening. Like do you, when somebody sees me practice, doing the movement it's important uh, for some people that they see a natural background for you know it's everything is speaking to you and mm-hmm. and uh, I think that's a very interesting field um, how to how to like deepen the experience of online coaching of course some things will never uh, be the same as in one-on-one coaching face to face sorry but you know we can do much better than than right now I mean, the technology is already there. Yeah. I'm absolutely I, looking forward to explore this. Yeah, I think that there, there's something to like the, the exchange of information and, and, and deciphering codes like, you know, where your experience and where you're coming from and my experience and where I'm coming from give space for collisions to happen where it's like, oh, well, 
I see it this way and you see, oh, okay, well now, now I see this thing that I didn't see before and yeah. someone speaks a, a language that I understand clear and someone is speaking in a way that I don't quite get, but the thing I'm saying makes more sense to them. So, you know, keeping that, that mm -hmm. exchange is such a tricky piece. And like I said, that is to me, you know, my experience in jujitsu, but I got it. I, I assume it's in, in a lot of martial arts and then also in the dance world is that like, you're you're exchanging information which makes you better at learning you're you're mm. you're seeing things through someone else's lens on a regular basis and you know that exchange and feedback and that's the thing that i feel like is the struggle like i said with the online coaching but i admire everybody who's trying to be like well where do we like get that piece back yeah 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 establish great communication online that's uh it's a tricky beast, but yeah, I think we're, we're already getting much better. <laughs> what I, I see flying around uh, right now is, is already so much better than the stuff that we saw pre-corona. Yeah. Uh, everybody's putting a lot of effort in figuring things out. And I think, yeah, that's probably, that's changed. It's going to change a lot. For example, before Corona, there was the, the, the students that my local students here in Cologne, they wouldn't have the online support. So whenever there was class, yeah, they would attend class. But if they would be forced to, I don't know, travel and miss class for two or three weeks, there would be no input, mm -hmm. right? But now they come to class, they have local class, they know, okay, Tuesdays and Thursdays, that's my days. And if I, have, uh, if I want to practice on Wednesdays, even if there's no class, I can just follow my, my structured curriculum online and continue mm -hmm. the learning there, mm -hmm. right? Or even better, that um, I, I always tell them, you know, guys, film yourself at home if you want your feedback, because mm -hmm. I can give you really clear feedback through video mm -hmm. when you're at home and when I have time to really film and think about the problem or, or your question. In mm -hmm. class, there's like, there's many people, you know, there's like 12 people on the mat and you're asking that question and my, maybe I'm busy with something else and my answer wouldn't be so, thought, so well thought out. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so it, now it really nicely interconnects uh, both worlds, the local teaching and the and the online coaching, and in the ideal world, for now, it uh, it works alongside each other, mm -hmm. nourishing as well. Mm. Do do your children practice? Yeah, yeah. My my children practice uh, jujitsu. <laughs> oh yeah. How, how old yeah. are they? They are six and ten years old. Okay. So, and uh, yeah. do they do they practice at your school with you, or do they go somewhere else? Yeah, right now they're still fine with daddy coaching. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, and I'm, um, I'm really aware of that that might change mm -hmm. rather quickly. So uh, I'm happy that I'm not the only uh, coach for the kids. So we have other coaches as well. So I, I make sure they also go to their classes and uh, I treat them just as, uh, as regular students. They get no benefits and... <laughs> Um, right now, it still works. They, they enjoy it a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very playful, of course. And uh, to be honest, I still think the, the very best martial art for every small kid is just jujitsu. I mean, mm -hmm. it's so free flow all the time mm -hmm. and so much experiential learning. Mm -hmm. And you can do so much with so little knowledge. I mean, I'm always 
excited like like as if i would be a kid by myself when i see new new kids coming in without any knowledge of what's going on and then they start to wrestle and out of a sudden they oh, they feel like superheroes because they know you know it's like kind of a natural movement for kids grappling and, and and they're already so playful to begin yeah. with that that was a term mm -hmm. that paul used about training jujitsu is to like I'd come at it with a playful perspective and adults are often they need to learn how to be playful yeah. while they're maybe a little bit better at their physicality. The kids like they're learning their physicality, but they're coming at it totally playful. Mm -hmm. So like that's, they can jump in and do that. No problem. Yeah. 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 Totally. They're huge role models for that. Mm -hmm. So I, the, the, the session that I most, uh, that I enjoy most are Fridays open mat. And that's usually the place where we ha have actually kids and adults. And this is something that I've never seen anywhere else, but I love it so much to see like mm -hmm. the six-year-old wrestling with their daddies and their mommies. And ah, it's so beautiful. <laughs> I love that. I Great love that joy. so I love that yeah. so much because I, 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 again, I was like, I've used this example a lot, but it's like, if you watch two dogs playing, right. And there's like a Great Dane and a Chihuahua and they're seasoned players. Like they're not dogs that are locked inside all the time, but they play with other dogs. Mm -hmm. They meet each other where they're at, yeah. right? Like the big dog knows how to play with the little dog. It's not going to try and kill it or smash it. It'll play, 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 pin it down. Sure. And then they jump up and keep playing again. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what we have the capacity to do if we are given the opportunity. And I love that you're like uh, creating the opportunity for that in, in, in your space, because I think it's amazing. Yeah. I think the kids can learn a lot from the adults, but the adults can probably learn way more from the kids. <laughs> yeah. It, it works both ways for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The black belt usually gets like five or six at once. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, so, Will you be hosting any any workshops coming up in the in the future that are your yeah. own where you'll be traveling for them or do you mostly do your workshops out of your own space? I do most of my workshops out of my own space, yeah. Uh, before Corona, I was uh, on a schedule of hosting at least one person a month. So that was a lot. And uh, I will probably not go back to this. Uh, it was a little bit too much. But I uh, I always... I love to invite people over and um, I will continue to do so as soon as uh, opportunities arise. So far, uh, the next one which is planned is for November uh, with Yuval Ayalon, the handstand mm -hmm. artist. Mm -hmm. uh, there's Margot hopefully coming in November. Uh, I personally teach workshops on Bagua and internal martial arts from my gym as well, but I also travel to other cities in, uh, it's coming up in, in Berlin and next year it's Switzerland. So yeah, a little bit of traveling for me, but most of the workshops are done at my place. Okay. Yeah. yeah I've never taken a workshop with Yuval, but um, mm -hmm. I, I've, I follow and pay attention and, and yeah. I, I, I know people who have, and do you spend a lot of time hand balancing is that a big part of your practice uh no it's not and um i hosted yuval three times already and we're good friends and we are in touch with each other regularly mm -hmm. um 
I'm happy if I can do a handstand whenever I want to, and I am able to do it, uh, and I'm not digging any deeper. It's, uh, I'm happy with that. It was important for me to be able to, to hold a handstand, and when I reached the point of holding a one-minute handstand, I was done. It's like, all right, thanks. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to do my handstands every now and then, but, yeah, it's a decision. Actually, Yuval was... Um, is a perfect coach for me because he's so, so down to earth mm -hmm. uh, that in the beginning when I was excited about getting more into the depth of handstand practice and I was already fantasizing about one arm handstands, he was like, yeah, you know, Carson, just forget about it. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> you know, for a proper handstand, you probably need three years mm -hmm. of daily practice until you can nail it in every possible condition. Mm -hmm. yeah even when completely stressed out or a thousand people watching you that's yeah. a good handstand might take yeah. you three years I said okay I can probably do that and then he <laughs> said and the one arm handstand that's another three years on top of that <laughs> yeah <laughs> nah <laughs> yeah <laughs> nah, I, <thank> you. <laughs> I, I, I stopped practicing my handstand like three months ago but kind of what mm -hmm. you talked about I was like every day for like five years yeah and <laughs> I think that this is, I think this is probably something people go through a lot, you know, and haven't heard people talk about this. So just deciding like the will, the willingness to be like, yeah, here's my line in the sand and I'm, and I'm done there. I don't need to continue there because there are other things that deserve some time. Yeah. You know, I think oftentimes think people think that like whatever the thing they take on, they're supposed to go to like the, the furthest extreme with it. Mm, yeah. Um, I mean, it's it being, tempted, right? Yeah. It's super, it, it, it's more than, it's, it's alluring, you know, especially in the world of Instagram. They're like, oh, well, mm -hmm. what do I need for a, a good generalist practice? Oh, well, I should be able to stand on my hands. Maybe like you said, for 60 seconds, that's a happy place to be. But then yeah. they look on Instagram, they're like, wow, look at, I mean, that guy's in one arm and the shapes and everything. I guess I'm, I'm, I'm not there until I get to there. Mm -hmm. Like, well, how far into the rabbit hole or how specialized do you want to become and how much time do you want to take away from all the other things mm -hmm. to get there? Yeah, and it's always a, pro a process and it's happening uh, all the time to me. I mean, I, I see so many interesting things, you know, and I, I'm a very curious person. So I always want to dig in new stuff and mm -hmm. it, may, it might be handstands, it might be rock climbing, it might be might be playing the guitar, might be singing. So I, I love to take my, to get a start and to just start it and then enjoy the feeling of being a complete beginner. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've probably, I wouldn't say wasted a lot of time on, on all those excursions, but I, I definitely spent a lot of time on, on those sidetracks before I decided, no man, stop it, no. <laughs> I don't want to go deeper into that rabbit hole. <laughs> right. I want to go back to my practice actually. And uh, yeah, it's especially yeah in times like Instagram and Facebook. I mean, you get triggered all day long. You know, it's, you have to be a superhero and wear your cape all the time if you don't want to get all the, all the triggers. And I mean, very interesting. Right, right. But I, I, I admire your, your um, willingness to give yourself permission to be like, yeah, I'm going to, experiment and see where this is but i'm i'm okay to walk away from it as well because i think a lot of people are just afraid to do that and and they look at people who are the teachers and the people who are doing things and who are on 
you know, teaching workshops and out there and thinking that the only way that they can be in a place like that or, or, or whatever is by being, like I said, like a hyper-specialized um, practitioner, whereas they, they, they should have the permission to tell themselves, oh, like, I only need to go this far with this thing and then I'll go and see something else. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely agree. And also it's, I mean, of course you're experimenting a lot if you're still searching for something, right? You're searching for your practice, you're searching for, for the thing that really interests you, that, you're, that you really would love to learn. And it's just, if you haven't found it yet, if you, if you didn't find it, it's, it's, of course you go and you, you explore stuff. Uh, I'm just happy that I found my, my main practice a while ago and I know that I want to continue with this, this practice probably forever. So mm-hmm. I can give myself any time I want to spend on other activities because I, I already know I'm not going to leave this behind. Yeah. This is, this is a super interesting venue and I'm going down a little bit and I want to see what's in there for me. Yeah. But I'm able to let go of it because... I already have my thing. Yeah, uh, it's it's it sounds like it's like it. it's like your north star. Mm, kind of. Yeah, yeah you can kind of like move away and kind of come back to the north star and come away and mm-hmm. come back to the north star. And yeah. Hopefully, learn something on the way. Yeah, <laughs> and then it comes back, and all of a sudden, the north star is a little bit different. Yeah, all yeah. the time. No yeah. matter if it was singing or playing the guitar, <laughs> it's different all the time. <laughs> do you do you yeah. do you are you, do you sing and play guitar? Well, I started playing guitar when I was 14, and mm-hmm. since then I didn't improve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm playing the guitar. Like, mm-hmm. No, I enjoy playing guitar, and I never got any better. Yeah, and I'm not singing. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, singing underneath my shower, and I'm singing in the car. Oh, okay. I enjoy it a lot, but that's where it's going to stay forever. Because <laughs> oh, oh, if, if you did sing, I was going to try to trick you into finishing this up with a serenade. Yeah, <laughs> some philosophical uh, serenade. That would be great to finish off with. Yeah. <laughs> uh, before before I let you go, are there are there any books that you're reading that uh, are interesting, or anything that you've read recently that that stands out to you? Oh, I'm reading so much. Um, what are you interested in? Mm. <laughs> I mean, I'm interested in everything. I'm I'm willing to go mm-hmm. any direction right now. Um, I'm still working on uh, Patanjali, um, mm-hmm. the sutras. And then I'm also, I picked up uh, Sam Harris's most recent book, which is like a collection of some of the conversations that he's done mm-hmm. on his podcast recently, which I think is really interesting. I, I love kind of like the the talks on consciousness, not that I understand much of it, um, I love kind of listening to people talk about decision-making and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, I, lo- I love talks of the, the, the brain and the mind. Mm. Yeah. Um, to be honest, I am back to reading fantasy. Uh, okay. All right. <laughs> you know, the, the thing with me is that I basically from the time um, when I started to study Chinese, uh, reading became very functional for me. Mm-hmm. And I was, uh, as a kid, I was, I was uh, reading fantasy novels like crazy. And I enjoyed it so much. All my imagination, all my, like, 
I can still do it. I can still daydream like crazy, mm -hmm. but I certainly uh, developed it in my childhood. And since I started to study Chinese, which was uh, now almost 20 years ago, uh, uh, no, 15 years ago, I, uh, everything became functional. So I, I read through every single book on physical development. I read through every coaching book. I read through all those, you know, I love reading and I always read five books at the same time. Mm -hmm. And just recently, I came back to forcing myself first to touch a Harry Potter book. Mm -hmm. Just touch it and say, okay, I'm going to read it. No matter what, I'm going to make it through. You know? <laughs> <laughs> now I'm in, uh, in, uh, in the fourth book, I think, and I'm so happy to read it. It's, it's so brilliant to go back to this childhood feeling of uh, just relaxing and getting in a nice story and daydreaming again. And uh, this is what I can recommend. Mm -hmm. Despite learning and studying all day long, it's so amazing if you have something where you can just chill and dream big. <laughs> so, <My suggestions>. okay, <laughs> I, I, I might. I, I've never read the Harry Potter books, so maybe I mm. will. Maybe I follow your lead here. Yeah, there's many more, of course, but it's a great start. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'll do that. How many books are there? There's five of them. No, I think more. I'm not sure. I just read whatever comes next. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I could do that because I don't. I don't think I've seen the films either. I think I will. I will give. I'll go with the books first. The films are great as well. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Yeah. I mean, other books. I mean, what's what's what else is there? I mean, the last movement book was. Uh, what was it? I think the strength pyramid. Mm-hmm. It's a book about how to uh, prioritize um, uh, methods in your strength training and which, which things are actually to be neglected. And it's interesting. Mm -hmm. It also has the nutrition pyramid and it's, yeah, what things are most important and what's like on top of the pyramid that's the least important. It was interesting, interesting mm -hmm. read, but more of reviewing stuff. Uh, I basically not read anything on Chinese martial arts. That's something I, I did when I was younger, but I find it quite redundant at some point. It's kind of always the same. Mm -hmm. And if there is a book that you would be interested in reading about Chinese martial arts, for example, I can definitely recommend two books. One is called uh, Nei Jia Quan, uh, and it's a collection of articles from different uh, internal martial arts teachers. Mm -hmm. So you, you will read about different perspectives. Mm -hmm. And this is interesting because, like I said before, there's no real definition. Uh, nothing clear that um, defines internal martial arts. And it de always depends on the teacher or the person or the, the tribe that you're learning from. So this is an interesting book, Nei Jia Chuen. I can uh, send you the link later. Yes. And another great, another great book that I think uh, everybody should read is uh, comes with a very narrow title mm -hmm. uh, and it's called Effortless Combat Throws. Okay. And it's written by uh, um, one of my teachers, Tim Cartmel. Mm -hmm. um, he's from LA. Mm -hmm. uh, and inside of this book, even if it is about combat throws and about throwing people around, there's so much content about the actual concepts and ideas in internal martial arts that you will probably learn much more about internal martial arts in this book than on, in any other book on internal martial arts specifically. So, 
Effortless Combat Throws by Tim Cartmel and the Neja Chuen, which is a collection of uh, texts from different authors. Yeah, um, will you send those to me after or later yeah, tomorrow, sure. or whatever? I know it's I know it's nighttime there, so after this you should go to bed. But um, uh-huh. yeah, when you remember, yeah, I'd love to check those out. Um, mm-hmm. Well, Karsten, I I really appreciate you making the time to do this. I know we're like at eight hour time change or time zone yeah. difference here, so <laughs> we had to like you know work around uh, different things going on to make it happen. But I feel like. Um, I feel like we have a lot to talk about. We should do another conversation. It doesn't have to be recorded in the future. We can just hop on and, and chat at some point. Yeah. Um, because uh, I, I really enjoy your perspective and I really feel like you're, you're, you're talking about things that I haven't myself had enough exposure to. So I'm, I'm really interested. Yeah, I'm here. And uh, thank you very much for the, for the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thanks awesome. for the invite. <laughs> um, one more time, will you say your website so that if anyone is listening wanna, wants to go check it out? Yeah, so basically the website is called Martial Movement Arts and uh, it's a Thinkific page. So it's, um, it's an online learning platform. But if you, if you Google Martial Movement Arts, you will find it. Uh, and the next best thing to catch me is uh, via Facebook. Same thing, Martial Movement Arts on Facebook and my name, Karsten Stausberg on Instagram. That's how you catch me. Uh, the actual website is uh, still in the making or in renewal continuously. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. constant process. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks, Karsten. I really appreciate it. Um, uh, I, like I said, I look forward to uh, the next time we talk and I look forward to, to coming out and visiting when the world will allow me to do that. Yeah, it will happen. It will yeah. surely happen. <laughs> Let's dig through this 20, 2020. Yeah. Finish it off. <laughs> All right, man. Have a good night. Thank you again. Yes. Hope to talk soon, man. All right, it was bye-bye. a nice talk. Bye-bye.